Good morning. Welcome to Zion on this first Sunday in Lent. Uh, you'll see the lovely flowers behind me placed in the chancel are placed this morning in memory of Rose Tice. Uh, I also want to say thank you to everyone who made the service possible yesterday and who helped and who helped with the meal. Um, I know your, your efforts are much appreciated, um, so I just want to say, say thank you for, for being there yesterday. A reminder for everyone that our Lenten midweek services begin this week. So we will begin with a soup supper at 6 o'clock, and then service will follow at 7. Uh, and just a quick note also about our service today. So it is traditional for the first hymn uh, of the first Sunday in Lent to be the Great Litany. Uh, so the Litany will replace our first hymn, and we will speak the Litany together. Uh, and it's, it's hymn 238 that you'll see. We'll speak it together, and then following the Litany, we'll go into the prayer of the day. Uh, do you have any announcements or any prayer requests for the congregation this morning? Yeah, Gary. Uh, I just want to reiterate what you said. I want to thank everybody for all the help and the work that they've done yesterday. Uh, it was very nice, and uh, I really appreciate it. And everything was very good. And uh, we just thought it, it topped off of uh, a day of celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my friends, Steve Hollinger, he just, uh, Thanksgiving, they found out that he had uh, stage four cancer on his, right above his spine, on his lower back. Okay. So he had surgery Friday, so. Good. 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 Yeah, thank you for sharing. Any other prayer requests or announcements? Well, if not, then I'll invite you to take a moment to quiet your hearts and quiet your minds as we listen to the prelude and prepare for worship.
Great, and I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captives to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may be light in your world and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I'll invite you to stand with me as we begin with the Great Litany, hymn 238. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. O Christ, hear us. In mercy, hear us. God the Father in heaven, God the Son, Redeemer of the world. God the Holy Spirit. Holy Trinity, one God. Be gracious to us. Be gracious to us. From all sin, from all error, from all evil, from the cunning assaults of the devil, from an unprepared and evil death. From war, bloodshed, and violence, from corrupt and unjust government, from sedition and treason, from epidemic, drought, and famine, from fire and flood, earthquake, lightning, and storm, and from everlasting death. By the mystery of your incarnation, by your holy birth, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and suffering, by your death and burial, by your resurrection and ascension, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, in all times of our tribulation, in all times of our prosperity, in the hour of death and in the day of judgment, though unworthy, we implore you, to rule and govern your holy Catholic Church, to guide all servants of your church in the love of your word and in holiness of life, 
to put an end to all schisms and cause of offense to those who would believe and to bring into the way of truth all who have gone astray. To beat down Satan under our feet, to send faithful workers into your harvest, to accompany your word with your spirit and power, to raise up those who fall and to strengthen those who stand, and to comfort and help the faint-hearted and the distressed. To give to all nations justice and peace, to preserve our country from discord and strife, to direct and guard those who have civil authority, and to bless and guide all our people. To behold and help all who are in danger, need, or tribulation, to protect and guide all who travel, to preserve and provide for all women in childbirth, to watch over children and to guide the young, to heal the sick and to strengthen their families and friends, to bring reconciliation to families and discord, to provide for the unemployed and for all in need, to be merciful to all who are imprisoned, to support, comfort, and guide all orphans, widowers, and widows, and to have mercy on all your people. To forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and to reconcile us to them, to help us use wisely the fruits and treasures of the earth, the sea, and the air, and graciously to hear our prayers. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Christ, hear us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Lord God, our strength, the struggle between good and evil rages within and around us, and the devil and all the forces that defy you tempt us with empty promises. Keep us steadfast in your word, and when we fall, raise us again and restore us through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The first reading is from Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of the Lord. We'll say responsibly Psalm 32. Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. While I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my guilt. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then you forgave me the guilt of my sin. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Do not be like horse or mule, which have no understanding, who must be fitted with bit and bridle, or else they will not stay near you. Be glad, you righteous, and rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy, all who are true of heart. Second reading is from Romans. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgressions of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely would have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many, many trespasses brings justification. If, because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more, will surely, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, 
So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Matthew. After Jesus was baptized, he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Satan has only one trick up his sleeve. And this trick is very often found in the word if. His temptations usually come down to that one thing. That is, the devil attempts to question God's promises. It's all in that word if. If. In fact, whenever God makes a promise, you can probably be sure that Satan will come around in an attempt to get you to doubt it. That's what he does. This is what we see in Matthew chapter 4. At the very end of Matthew chapter 3, Christ is baptized by John. And God's word comes to Jesus and proclaims, this is my beloved son. Well, this is a promise to Christ. A word that is meant to prove beyond a shadow of doubt who Christ is and what he has come to do. It's a certain word. You are. You are my beloved son. It's given to Christ. He is the incarnation of this message. That God is giving himself to the world through his son. But immediately after this word of promise that's given to Christ at his baptism, the spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And what is Satan's word to Christ? If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. You hear that word, if. And so you see what the devil is doing. Right away, he's trying to bring doubt to the word that God had given Christ before this 40 days of fasting. The wilderness itself in which Christ inhabits for 40 days represents a kind of silence. Right? Christ is alone. 
He's not eating with others, as he will come to do throughout his ministry. He doesn't have disciples with him. There's no one there. There's not John the Baptist preaching to him. We have no reason to believe that he's hearing God's word speaking to him in those days. The wilderness is the place of being alone and being silent. And in that silence, when it's not clear that God is speaking, all you can do is go back to the promise that God has given you. That's what we have to rely on in the silence. And so it's that word of promise that God has given Christ that Satan is trying to attack. Satan, in that moment, assumes that Christ is weak. He believes that no one could possibly rely on God's promise in that kind of hardship and loneliness. Right? We see this in the Bible and other places as well. Right? We see it in the book of Job. The devil comes to God and talks to him about Job, and Satan tries to make the argument to God that Job will not rely on God's promises if Job goes through real hardship, if he loses everything. Right? That's the one trick Satan has. He's always trying to call into doubt God's word to you. And so Satan says to Christ, if, right, if you are God's son, he's trying to call into doubt what God has said to Christ. And so Satan, in other words, is saying to Jesus, did God really mean what he said when he said you were his son? If he really meant that, we'll prove it. Prove it with a sign. Right? Because Satan believes that if he can get Jesus to try to prove that God's word was true with a sign, then there will be a crack. There will be an opening in Jesus' faith. Right? He would then begin to point out, ah, oh, Jesus, you're starting to doubt. But Jesus does not doubt. His faith is perfect. Jesus says to the devil, we live by the words that come from God's mouth. And so you see how he counteracts Satan's temptation. He goes back to that truth, that God's word is certain. That is what we live by. But we see what Satan does and how he tempts us. And so this morning we're given the story of the Garden of Eden. And we look back to Eden. And what does the serpent say to Eve? Right? Did God say, did God really say that? Right? That's the devil's first word. God had made a promise to Adam and Eve, which was, you can eat from every tree but that one. That one tree is not good for you, so don't eat of it. Right? But they had access to the tree of life. They had access to all of the great gifts of God. They had access to God's very own presence. But Satan wants to call all of that into question. He wants Eve to begin to think, what did God really mean? Did God really have the best intentions for me in mind? Is God's word really true? Is it really sure? And in the Garden of Eden, it worked. Eve begins to question the goodness of God. She questions his word. Does God really have my best intentions in mind? And so we see this pattern over and over in Scripture, and we see it in our lives. Where God gives a promise, the tempter will try to bring doubt. When the Israelites are brought out of the desert, God promises to bring them into the land of Canaan, where they can live as his people in a land of prosperity. What happens? They doubt. They start to believe that they're going to die in the desert, and then they start to doubt that they can take the land from the people who are residing there. 
they begin to doubt God's promises. And when they doubt God's promises, they miss God's goodness. That's always the work of the tempter. And the tempter works that trick on you as well. He wants you to doubt God's promises. God's promises to you were made at your baptism. And they were made there so that they were proclaimed to you as certain, so that you would not doubt them. Because when you were baptized, you were given this concrete physical sign of his promises, of God promising to forgive your sins, of God promising you life everlasting. It was there he promised that he would never leave you, never forsake you. He promised that you would be made new, that you would be united to him in Christ forever. But those are the promises that Satan will work to attack in your mind. When you come to worship, before we begin our worship, we always confess our sins and we hear the words of absolution. In those words of absolution, God says, your sins are forgiven. That's a promise. That's a sure and certain word. But for many of you, especially the most conscientious among you, the devil will work really hard to make you doubt those words. Did God really say your sins are forgiven? Does God really mean it? What about that secret sin you didn't confess? What about that habitual sin that you cannot stop committing? What about that really embarrassing, shameful thing you did that you've never told anyone? What about the fact that you know you're a hypocrite and you don't live entirely as you should? Did God really mean that your sins are forgiven? Well, that's the work of the devil. That's what the devil wants to do for us. When you come to communion and you doubt that the body of Christ is really for you, for the forgiveness of sins, when the blood of Christ was really shed for you, that doubt is what the devil wants to bring to all of us. He wants us to doubt that Christ is truly coming to you in the moment at the sacrament for the forgiveness of sins. And so we always go back to our baptisms because there God has said that you are his beloved child. He said that you are marked with the cross of Christ forever. And Satan will make you think that all of that is meaningless, just a ritual. The tempter wants you to believe that you don't really matter to God, that you're not important, that your work isn't meaningful, that God isn't directing your life. But that's all his attack on God's promises. In the church year, Lent is a time for repentance and self-examination, as we heard on Ash Wednesday. And repentance and self-examination are useful practices so long as they drive you to listen to God's promises for you. And so you've read in the newsletter, I hope, of my plans to begin carving out a time for individual confession and absolution and that idea fills so many of us, me included, with dread. Right? Why would we want to say our sins aloud to a pastor? But the idea is not to make someone uncomfortable, to cause embarrassment. It's not even about creating accountability so you'll stop sinning. But the practice of confession and absolution is always about the opportunity to hear God's promise to you. When Satan says to you, are you really forgiven of that particular sin? Confession gives you the opportunity to talk back to Satan. Yes, I am forgiven. 
I have heard it. I know it. I've confessed it to God. It is forgiven, and this sin is gone. I have God's promise that my sins are no longer remembered. They will never be brought back up again. Even on the day of judgment, they are destroyed. That's how we talk back to the devil. When he attacks God's promises, we point to that truth of God's forgiveness. And that is a gift. And so Lent is our opportunity for us to examine ourselves so that we can continually lean on God's promises. Lent's not just about self-improvement. It's not just about giving up some pleasure, candy, chocolate, coffee, whatever, so that you can make yourself a better person. Those all might be good practices. But the true discipline of Lent is about going back to God's promises. It's about always leaning on that truth that God's promises are for me. And I know they are for me because he has declared it to be true at my baptism. He has declared it to be reality in the death and resurrection of his son. Amen. Together let us stand and confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, 
Let us pray with the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Gracious God, though we have fallen to the lies of the devil, Jesus and his obedience has reconciled us to you. Give us the grace to follow him, trusting in your promises when we are attacked by the tempter. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, give us the gift of listening to your word and allow our hearts and minds to be transformed by it. Teach us not to be impressed by the wisdom of the world and to be consumed by earthly things. And so bless all ministers of your word, especially our pastors. Strengthen them to feed your flock faithfully. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, in your love you have given us gifts which our forebears neither knew or dreamed of. Mercifully grant that we may not be so occupied with material things that we forget the things which are spiritual, and even though we have gained the whole world, lose our souls. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, grant that those who live alone might not be lonely in their solitude, but may find fulfillment in loving you and their neighbors as they follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, guide those in authority in our land, especially our President Joseph, our Governor Richard Michael, our Congress, and our judges, that our laws may be just. Where our laws are unjust or contrary to your word, guide our leaders to change them. Give them the wisdom to know your will and to do it. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, comfort those in any distress and grant healing to the sick and peace to those who are troubled, especially Steve, Charlie, Jane, Marcel, Tony, John, Marilyn, Tony, Carolyn, all of those who are grieving Rose, and all of those who are grieving Dana. Lord, in your mercy. And receive our praise for the lives of the saints who have loved and served you and who now rest from their labors. Keep us in fellowship with all of your saints and bring us at last to the joy of your kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. All of these things and whatever else you see that we need, grant to us, dear Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
Let us pray. God of all creation, all you have made is good, and your love endures forever. You bring forth bread from the earth and fruit from the vine. Nourish us with these gifts that we might be for the world signs of your gracious presence. In Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty, and our joy that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, Almighty and merciful Father, through our Savior Jesus Christ. You call your people to cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Paschal Feast, that renewed in the gift of baptism, we may come to the fullness of your grace. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the host of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending Blessed are you, O God of the universe. Your mercy is everlasting, and your faithfulness endures from age to age. Praise to you for creating the heavens and the earth. Praise to you for saving the earth from the waters of the flood. Praise to you for bringing the Israelites safely through the sea. And praise to you for leading your people through the wilderness to the land of milk and honey. Praise to you for the words and deeds of Jesus, your anointed one. Praise to you for the death and resurrection of Christ. Praise to you for your spirit poured out on all nations. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. With this bread and cup, we remember our Lord's Passover from death to life as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. O God of resurrection and new life, pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts of bread and wine. Bless this feast. Grace our table with your presence. Reveal yourself to us in the breaking of the bread. Raise us up as the body of Christ for the world. Breathe new life into us. Send us forth burning with justice, peace, and love. And with your holy ones of all times and places, with the earth and all its creatures, with sun, moon, and stars, we praise you, O God, blessed and holy trinity, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 
Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now taste and see that the Lord is good. Thanks be to God.
benediction. I invite you to stand. Let us pray. We give you thanks, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through the healing power of this gift of life. In your mercy, strengthen us through this gift in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Serve the Lord. <laughs>